0: Women of War is recorded on Wurundjeri land. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. This podcast contains references to atrocities carried out during the French Revolution, including beheadings and the defilement of a corpse. It also contains some coarse language. It may not be suitable for all listeners. I'm Nicola, a historian doing a master's in education with an interest in making history accessible and a blood vendetta against Robert Menzies. And I'm Hannah, a PhD
1: student who apparently has masochistic tendencies because I decided that co-writing a history podcast was a great
0: use of my spare time. We don't king shame here. You're listening to Women of War, a podcast by two almost historians on the women who also existed in the traditionally masculine sphere of war and conflict.
1: So today, we're heading back to a time of protests in the streets, class conflict, oppression of the people, out-of-touch leaders, and factionalism within the left. And I could make a joke here about 2020, but I have excellent self-control, so I will not.
0: I respect you. I respect me too.
1: We're heading to the French Revolution. So, tremble tyrants and traitors, the shame of all good men. You
0: do not get a French flag out. You're not even French.
1: Yeah, but, like, you've got to admit that their national anthem is far better national anthem than Advance Australia Fair, oh, from
0: content to tone. Absolutely. At least their anthem accepts some of their bloody history at home. All right, so why does the French Revolution count as a war? Because I said so. <laughs> That's a says-bon, not a good enough reason.
1: Fine. In some of our apps, we're quite loosely using the concept of war because how does one define a war? Let me count the ways. Let me count the ways. But today, Shakespeare, the revolution begins as an ideological conflict that soon turns into a class war and I would argue a sort of civil war by the time you get to the terror when everyone is chopping everyone's heads off. Snip, snip, bitch. So then obviously later on, the New Republic actually starts wars with other countries. March, March, bitch. It's October. It's a war. It's October. It's a war.
0: Okay, um, we plan to do a few more episodes on the French Revolution because it was also a really big point for women's rights movements in the European context. But today we're starting with Charlotte Corday, l'ange de l'assassinat, or the Angel of Assassination. Evleen, as always. I'm sorry.
1: If that's not my nickname by the time I die, I mean, what's even the
0: point? But it's the Angel of Assassination. Well, you you gotta chop chop. Get moving. Uh, so, Corday would become. How do you know I haven't chop chopped? Oh, God. No, there's been no really good assassinations of people we don't like for a very long time.
1: So. That you know of. If I was a good assassin, then you wouldn't know that I was an assassin.
0: Corday would become famous as a revolution. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. You're just very busy. I don't think you could be an assassin as well. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I wouldn't be an assassin. I would be a hitman. Like, there's a slight difference there. All right. Charlotte Corday would become famous as a revolutionary for the assassination of Jean-Paul Marat in 1793 after his role in instigating the terror. She was executed by guillotine four days after the death of Marat and has been immortalized in the painting The Death of Marat, which is like the painting of La French Revolution, or one of them anyway. I think the one of Marianne leading the revolutionaries is probably the painting but death of Marat is probably number two i reckon um, you can have multiple the paintings no because it's the definite article you can have death oh, whatever. whatever charlotte corday has since become pretty symbolic of heroic women in the west with paintings poems plays movies novels operas graphic novels and even a video game depicting her actions in the revolution and if that's not my legacy when i die i'm not gonna die
1: i promise i will write an opera about you but it will probably be mostly me screaming incoherently.
0: Did I ever take you to the opera?
1: No, I've never been to the opera.
0: Yeah, I used to get lots of free tickets to the opera because of a friend um, and you couldn't give them away, so I would take them. (laughs) Uh. So, sadly for Charlotte, though she has been remembered and immortalised, her bold act didn't have the outcome she hoped for, and rather than curbing the terror, the murder and mayhem intensified. Marat became a martyr for the cause, while Charlotte was shunned by many revolutionaries, particularly women, for her actions. Well, she was dead, but her memory was shunned. Can you shun a memory? I think you can in Europe. Hmm. Charlotte Corday, full name Marie-Anne Charlotte de corday d'Armont, so you know she came from the fancy side of town, was born in Normandy, France in 1768. Her family were minor aristocracy, which doesn't bode well for upcoming events, which is what everyone more or less knows about the French Revolution. Maybe she would have lost her head for an entirely different reason if she hadn't assassinated Murat. Spoilers! Her dad, Jacques-Francois de Corday, was a lord of Armand. In 1782, when Charlotte was 14, her mother died in childbirth, which left her father heartbroken and unable to care for Charlotte and her younger sister. I'm sure it was pretty traumatic for Charlotte herself as well. I mean, presumably he had a servant or two who could have helped. I'm too poor to understand how all this works.
1: Well, there were minor aristocracy, so maybe not. Like, they were pretty poor themselves, and they really only had a title rather than any wealth to go with it. Perhaps she would have married for money and given a title to some nouveau riche dude. But the French Revolution happened, and things didn't go that way. Either way, her dad sent Charlotte and her sister to the convent Abbey Dames, or the Abbey of St Trinity in Cannes. Sorry, Evelyn. You've never met me, and I butcher your language. <laughs> Charlotte was a little baby rebel. At the convent, she read widely and began to learn about the ideas of philosophers such as Plutarch, Rousseau and Voltaire and began to question the world around her. But I want to pause our story of Charlotte here for a minute and just we, do a little recap of the French Revolution. Um, so this will inevitably be short, simplified and... Do you hear something. the
0: people sing, singing a song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the yeah, I'm going to stop your- you
1: there. Because it's the right idea, but the wrong revolution.
0: Everywhere I hear the sound of march and charge and feed, boy. I I, I don't even
1: know what you're doing anymore. If you know, you
0: know. But they don't know that we know that we know that they know,
1: you know? But I don't know. Okay. I'm, Go on. I'm Joey in all situations. I have no idea what's going on. The French have had many revolutions, but the OG French Revolution began in 1789 when French people decided they had enough of their shitty living conditions. The divide between the wealthy and the poor was astronomical and almost all people living in the country were in a state of poverty, obviously, except the rich. They were starving. They had barely enough to survive. Meanwhile, the rich aristocracy were living it up, spending big on lavish parties, eating ridiculous food and basically showing all the cultural awareness of the Kardashian-Jenners today. The country, however, was broke. Being French, they had spent all their money fighting the Brits in the Seven Years' War and had borrowed extensively from foreign investors who now wanted their money back. So cue an increase in taxation of the poor people. We really haven't changed, have we?
0: We have better clothes now. Yeah, that's debatable. Mm. The French people did not like being taxed more, especially when it looked like their taxes were only going to pay for the lavish lifestyles of the aristocracy, the royals and the church. People were hungry and they were angry and they were hangry. In May, Louis XVI, that's the one, called a meeting of the Estates General to try and solve the impending financial crisis and widespread famine. There were three sections of society represented, the first estate, the clergy, the second estate, the nobility, and the third estate the Dirty Commoners. Each group had an equal voting power, but the Third Estate made up the vast majority of the French population. Wow, it's like the Electoral College in the US, I want to scream. Okay. They thought it was pretty damn unfair that they could be outvoted by the two groups who already had so much power in French society. In June, they decided enough was enough and the Third Estate met on an indoor tennis court of Versailles and made the historic tennis court oath. They declared themselves a new National Assembly and refused to disband until a new French constitution had been adopted that was more equal and more fair. Louis agreed with the demand by recognising the legitimacy of the Assembly until he surrounded them with the army. So we come to July 14th.
1: And I was born!
0: Wrong century! You're older.
1: I have a good skincare regime. I'll tell you about it if you like. No, thank you. I'm fine. You don't want to know?
0: No, I don't. I have great skin already.
1: July 14th, 1789. Pissed off Parisians stormed the Bastille. Will you give all you can give so that our banner may advance? Some will fall and some will live. And that's still the wrong revolution! Wrong
0: revolution. Do
1: you hear the people?
0: Sorry. Oh my fucking it's- Christ.
1: So, why the Bastille, you may ask? It was a prison, the main big prison in the middle of Paris. So some have argued that they wanted to free political prisoners. And maybe they did, but if they did, they were misinformed because there were only seven people there and only a couple were political prisoners. Other interpretations of why they stormed the Bastille include that they wanted to seize the stores of gunpowder, which seems more likely to me, or it may have been the symbolism, the big representation of power in the centre of the city. Regardless, the storming of the Bastille was the spark the revolution needed, and heads quickly began appearing on spikes, beginning with the governor of the Bastille. Not spontaneously, people were chopping their heads off and then putting them on the spikes. It wasn't some mysterious ghost thing going on. People around the country rioted and revolted against any perceived injustices. A key driving force in this insurrectionary period were the sans-culottes, or the radical working classes.
0: Oh, Oh, that's what you meant by sans-culottes this morning. Are you not wearing any pants? I got confused. But I have award-winning legs, though.
1: I don't think you can make up your own awards.
0: Did anyway. you know the reason cricket never took off in France, well, one of the reasons, was um the exhibition match. They were planning one in 1789, um, but then the Bastille happened. So um they, like, cancelled the exhibition match and cricket never took off in France. Oh.
1: I mean, I would have thought it's because they like tennis because they make all their oaths on tennis courts.
0: Yeah, but, like, Britain also has Wimbledon. It's not like you can't have cricket and tennis. I hate both cricket and tennis I, most I, of the time anyway. Prefer i prefer to I was making,
1: play It was a joke.
0: Cricket. Oh, sorry, I didn't realise. a joke.
1: Yeah. Should I see, my,
0: see myself out? Or... Yeah. Anyway, did they have a cool name for this period where the Sunco lot were running around putting people's heads on spikes?
1: They did, actually. This period was mm-hmm. known as the Great Fear, and terrified nobles fled the country. Uh, This also prompted the National Assembly to abolish feudalism and adopt the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. Just notice there how it doesn't say of women in there. No, No women, but that's another episode. The Assembly committed to drafting a constitution that enshrined these rights and gave all citizens equal opportunity, freedom of speech, and a represented government. So we now get to 1791. In September, the Assembly adopted France's first written constitution, which established a constitutional monarchy, though the king still had the power to veto decisions of the new legislative assembly,
0: which seems logical. Sure. Many radical Nicholas, Nicholas II. Ah, oh, bless me, Nicholas II. Sorry. Oh, what a weird sneeze. All right, continue, Hannah. You should you should see a doctor about that. I think many
1: radical revolutionaries did not like that the king still had so much power. And they began pushing for republicanism and a formal trial of Louis XVI. So where was
0: Charlotte during all this? Should we go back to Charlotte? We should go back to Charlotte. Okie dokie. So, Charlotte left the convent in 1791 when the convent closed and she moved in with her cousin Madame Le de Cossier de Bretville Guval in Cannes. Huh. While living in Cannes, Charlotte lived right by the Intendant, which sounds like a cult but was really the headquarters for the Girondins. As the Girondins would give speeches regularly from their balcony, Charlotte would have heard and been exposed to their ideas. The Girondins were a political group that formed around 1791 in opposition to the more radical Montagnards, who you might know of as the political party that spawned Maximilian Robespierre, he of the eventual missing jaw. The Girondins were mostly minor nobility like the Cordays, landowners and the bourgeoisie, the true horror of any history student who has to learn to spell that in an exam.
1: I learned how to spell bourgeoisie perfectly for about six months, and then promptly forgot it. And I, I was have the never same. ever been able to spell it successfully again.
0: I'm the same, and um, villas Britain, No for me, because I always put spellers, like a couple spellers. extra u's in there somewhere.
1: There's always Different. extra letters, and there's you can't help it.
0: The French love a vowel. What can I say? They love cheese in the love they a vowel. Do. and they love Cheese has three vowels in it. All right. It does too? Like the philosophers that Charlotte had been reading at the convent, the Girondins championed liberal democracy, human rights, and a separation of powers. They are generally thought of as a more moderate group because they initially supported a constitutional monarchy rather than going straight to the guillotine. I have to assume that's partially related to what was happening in, the, in, in Britain beforehand with their revolution. Anyway, I don't know enough about the English Revolution yet. After Louis and Marie Antoinette attempted to flee France in 1791, betrayal. Many Girondins became Republicans, but still remained committed. Not that kind of Republican. (laughs) They remained committed to the ideals of liberalism, including public education, equality before the law, and public assistance to the poor. Not to be confused with the Liberal Party in Australia, which believes in the ideals of destroying public education, continuing inequality in the law, and lining your own pockets. Thanks, Jeff Kennett. Many Girondists also supported the abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, and political equality. Charlotte really liked these values and thought that the Girondists were the ones who would create a better France. Rendez France oh I can't say this bit, Rendre la France Puissant comme avant. Make France great again. Just no. Yeah. The Girondins were largely centre left and moderate, which Charlotte liked. By mid 1792, the revolution had become far more radical. In April, the Legislative Assembly declared war on Austria and Prussia, which is always a good move. In August, a group of Jacobins, who represented one of the extremist factions, stormed the palace and arrested the royal family. Charlotte did not agree with the approach that the main revolutionary leaders were taking.
1: So in September 1792, between 1,100 and 1,600 prisoners were massacred over the course of four days. This is now known as the September Massacres and these killings were undertaken by the French National Guard with the help of some sans-culottes and some gendarmes. By September 6th, around half of the entire number of prisoners in Paris had been murdered, half the entire prison population in four days.
0: That is insane. It's disgusting. Why did they do that?
1: Well, it seems to be a bit of a collective mob mentality thing to an extent. Uh, There was this idea going around that foreign or royalist armies were amassing to attack Paris, perhaps with the aid of the roughly 200 Swiss soldiers in Parisian prisons? Anyway, as as with most of these things, no one actually sent out an order saying, go kill all the prisoners in case they're supporting a foreign army to overthrow us. But on the 1st of September, the Legislative Assembly asked for volunteers to gather at the Champs-de-Mars the next day. On the second, Georges Danton from the Provisional Government gave a speech to the Assembly calling for citizens to arm themselves. He said, quote, The bell we are about to ring is not an alarm signal. It sounds the charge on the enemies of our country. To conquer them, we must dare, dare again, always dare, and France is saved, unquote. In French, he didn't mention prisoners. No, but... If I'm a French dude already a bit keyed up from several years of revolution, and some guy in the government's like, "There's a bunch of enemies around us, and we need to fight them to save our precious country," then I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna grab a pickaxe and storm a prison.
0: To be fair, your birthday is on Bastille Day, so maybe there is some weird astrological imperative there.
1: Maybe I was a French revolutionary in a past life. Maybe that would be cool. I love that idea. That would be pretty cool. And then you got beheaded. Maybe, that, maybe that's why I want to be an assassin.
0: Or I am an assassin. Maybe you are Charlotte Corday. Oh, my God. Sacre bleu. Surprise. So while Danton's speech wasn't an explicit call to arms, many historians believe it was the catalyst for the massacres. Just over an hour later, the massacres began and more than a 1,000 prisoners were murdered on the first day. The next morning, Jean-Paul Morat published a pamphlet which called upon patriots to defend Paris and combat counter-revolution, which sounds like a great way to de-escalate things. So our
1: girl Charlotte did not agree with the massacres. She was worried about the direction the revolution was taking and she wanted to correct the course. As one of the powerful figures of the revolution, Charlotte fixated on Jean-Paul Marat as one of the instigators of the violence of the terror. Marat was a Jacobin journalist. As the writer of the newspaper L'ami du Pupil, the Pupil, the Pupil, the pimple. the Pimple, uh, <laughs> oh. the Friend of the People, Marat had substantial influence over the thoughts of the French intellectuals as well as ordinary French people. Marat was an advocate for the rights of the lower classes, which was good for him, um, and was not afraid to call out groups he saw as enemies of the people, but that often resulted in riots and violence, so less good for him. As Marat had published the pamphlet during the September massacres, Charlotte held him responsible for the violence. More generally, she felt that his newspaper contributed to the general violent tendencies of the revolution during the reign of terror.
0: Charlotte, not unjustly, believed that Marat was a threat to the Republic and was worried that if things continued as they were, France would end up in a civil war. A bit less rationally, she believed that by killing Marat, the violence would stop and the Republic would be able to adopt a more moderate approach. Whenever I say Republic, I think about Darth Sidious in Star was like, the Republic, the Republic. I love the Republic, the Republic.
1: Is that not the Republic we're talking about?
0: Republic. I don't know. Whenever people are like, oh, yes, the French Republic. I'm like, oh, yes, the French. Republic.
1: I've only I've really seen two Star Wars movies, to be fair.
0: Oh. Republic. Yeah. So she wanted them to be more moderate. She thought if she came come they'd be more moderate. It didn't help matters when on the 21st of January, ni- 1973. My name is Sam <laughs> It didn't help matters when on the 21st of January, 1793, the National Convention, which had replaced the Legislative Assembly, charged Louis... This is the third time you've given him a different um, number in the script. <laughs> no, we Like, I wouldn't put them past <laughs> a symbolic execution, but it's so funny. You've had Louis the 15th, Fourteen, and 16 <laughs> I'm not angry. It's just I'm
1: funny. just covering all bases, making sure we've got all the
0: Louis. Should we record that again, like, seriously, or should we just leave it as it is?
1: I'm chill with that. At this point, the factionalism intensified, and each group turned inwards, pitting themselves against the other factions as they disagreed on how to do things. You can't sit with us, on Wednesdays we don't wear pants, etc., etc.
0: <laughs> In-
1: <laughs> you didn't get the memo because it's Friday, so you can't yeah. laugh. Okay. In April 1793, the Girondins accused Marat of treason. Though the case went to trial, the court very quickly acquitted Marat and the Girondins who accused him were expelled from the convention.
0: The revolution only got more violent from there. The National Convention was divided, and in June 1793, the Jacobins seized control of it from the Girondins and let their wildest revolutionary ideas flourish. They tried to get rid of Christianity, introduced a new calendar to the annoyance of all historians and students everywhere, decimalized time, and escalated the number of people tried and executed for counter-revolution and treason.
1: Some of those are worse than the others, and I'm going to leave it up to you guys to decide which you think is worse.
0: I love the Twitter account that tells you what day it is in the French Revolutionary calendar. It's like, today is the day of wheelbarrows. And you're like, yeah, it is. It's wheelbarrow day. I love wheelbarrow day. It's my favourite day.
1: Love wheelbarrow day. I want a wheelbarrow. Mine died. It's very sad. On the 9th of July, 1793, 24-year-old Charlotte left Cayenne for Paris, armed with a copy of Plutarch's Parallel Lives. It's an interesting choice of book because Plutarch's lives profiled famous men that Plutarch believed exemplified both moral virtues and moral failings. But I don't know if there's any significance for Charlotte in her choice of pre-assassination reading material. Maybe she just wanted something to while away the time. But it does point to mm. interesting possibilities. Like perhaps she was inspired by the men in the work. Uh, perhaps she was debating her choice to kill Murat by reading about the morality of historical figures. Perhaps she was considering how she herself might be remembered in similar work for her actions. We obviously don't know, but I am tempted by the idea that she had a sense of historical legacy and the mark that she would leave on the world.
0: I like that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Once in Paris, Charlotte spent a few days running on Adresse aux Français France, Ami de Louis et de Lepa. Do you think I speak French or something?
1: <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. It's a lot of fun. i got to get my kick somehow. So the address to the French people, Friends of Law and Peace. That's right. The Address to the French People, Friends of Law and Peace. I don't know if I put that in Google Translator, if that's just what it is, but...
0: I think it's like, The Anyways. Address to the French People, semicolon, Friends of Law and Peace. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. The Address to the French People, Friends of Law and Peace, was Charlotte's attempt to explain her reasoning for Morat's assassination. Namely that, quote, she said, I kill one man to save 100,000, unquote. Later at her trial, she would defend her actions by suggesting that though she had not killed all people responsible for inciting violence, perhaps people like Marat would be more afraid in the future. So on July 13th, nearly four years to the day since the storming of the Bastille and 201 years before my mum went into labour, Charlotte went to find Marat. On her way, she bought a black hat decorated with green ribbons and a wooden handled kitchen knife. Her choice of headwear may have been a callback to the green cockades worn by revolutionaries in the first 1789 riots. Uh, Cockade.
0: Maybe also she just liked green hats and wanted to look her best for the assassination. I'd dress up if I was out killing dudes.
1: I would 100% wear something overly dramatic. Maybe a ball gown. Hmm. Anyway, Charlotte's fashion choices became symbolic, whether they were intended that way or not. After the assassination, people would remember the green hat she wore and green became the colour of counter-revolution. In fact, the colour was prohibited from public dress, much to the annoyance of drapers and haberdashers. So never let anyone tell you that your fashion choices can't make a mark on the world. Initially, Charlotte had planned to assassinate Marat in the very public forum of the National Assembly. She was also conscious of the date. She would assassinate Marat on the 14th of July, in the middle of the very place where decisions about France's future were being made. It would be symbolic and public, and hopefully a real wake-up call about the turn events had taken. Well, that's what she wanted it to be anyway.
0: Unfortunately, Marat was very ill and very rarely left home. Charlotte changed her plans. Charlotte (laughs) changed her plans and headed to Marat's house. She was turned away twice, once by Marat's fiancé's sister and once by the fiancé herself. But after promising Marat names of Girondist enemies of the revolution, Marat agreed to meet Charlotte. Marat, like Winston Churchill later, concluded many of his meetings while in the bath because of a skin condition. Wasn't Churchill just in the bath with meetings because he was so busy because of, like, the Nazis? Anyway, conspiracy theory there, Murat was reincarnated as Churchill.
1: That idea is terrifying. Like, after centuries of the British and the French fighting, and then a French leader being reborn as a British leader.
0: Then again, I think a lot of British people would prefer Macron as their prime minister right now than, um... Mr. Fuckface. Anyway, Marat met Charlotte while in the bath. Charlotte gave Marat names of the Girondins hiding in Caen, and while he was writing them down, she took out her kitchen knife and stabbed him through the heart. He died almost instantly. I like the symbolism of her using an ordinary kitchen knife, like she didn't have any special weapons. It was a tool of the common people who, that she used in an attempt to protect those common people from the excesses of the radical revolutionaries. As Marat died, he called out and his fiancé ran into the room, accompanied by one of Marat's colleagues. They followed blood on the floor to the bathroom, where Charlotte was seized, and neighbours attempted to revive Marat, but it, but it soon became clear he was... I just laugh because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> where Charlotte was seized, and neighbours attempted to... Re- it's just a really bad period, I'm sorry! All right. Where Charlotte was seized, and neighbours attempted to revive Marat, but it soon became clear he was dead. Medical knowledge in late 18th century France... Being about as good as Trump's understanding of the coronavirus.
1: Do you Murat got up after being stabbed and was like, I've been stabbed, so now I'm immune to being stabbed?
0: I want to kill myself. Please continue. I'm
1: glad you're stuck in a cupboard.
0: <laughs> Charlotte did
1: not try to escape. She had committed the act to prevent further escalation of the violence and she wished to explain her actions to the public. The local police arrived and Charlotte admitted that she had killed Murat, that she had come to Paris with the intention of killing him, and that the plan was hers and hers alone. The news spread and angry crowds gathered, wanting to kill Charlotte on the spot for her actions. One woman even apparently cried that she wanted to tear Charlotte limb from limb and eat her body piece by piece. So I think we can assume she was already
0: having a bad day. (laughs) She's very hangry. I get it. I get it. I get it. Charlotte was taken to the Abbey prison, which was the site of the 1st September Massacre in 1792, an interesting full circle. While in prison, she wrote a goodbye letter to her father, asking for his forgiveness for, quote, having disposed of my existence without your permission, unquote, but justifying her actions as having, quote, avenged many innocent victims, unquote, and preventing other disasters. She was convinced that, quote, the people one day disillusioned will rejoice in being delivered from a tyrant, unquote.
1: Sorry I made you say the word unquote, unquote so many times in that paragraph. It's all right. I had fun. Her trial began on the 17th of July, 1793, four days after she killed Marat. Senior revolutionary officials cross-examined her three times, hoping to establish that she was part of a wider Girondist conspiracy. She maintained it was her plan alone, citing the ideas she had learned while reading philosophy at the convent and stating that she had been a Republican before the revolution began. Not that kind of Republican. The investigation was determined to prove that she had acted as part of a wider conspiracy and also on the orders of a man, but Charlotte was determined to prove her own agency. She argued that she had been able to get close to Marat because people did not see women capable of such crimes and she repeatedly insisted that women had the physical and moral strength to commit acts of violence in the name of their beliefs. Is
0: that a good message? She's a little confused, but she's got the spirit. spirit.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. There was certainly an aura of sexual fear at the trial. Here was a young woman who was confident and composed, insisting that she alone had the intelligence and determination to assassinate a powerful man. She threatened the notions of masculinity for probably every man in that courtroom. So proving that she had acted on the orders of a man became like a point of pride. But Charlotte too had her pride and refused to let them dismiss her agency. She was defended by Claude-Francois chavot Lagarde, though she had requested that an old friend act as
0: her defence. She was found guilty and sentenced to execution, but we already knew that from the start of this episode. Before her execution, she requested her portrait be painted. Am I the reincarnation of Charlotte? She selected a National Guard officer as the artist and even gave suggestions for changes before being taken to the guillotine.
1: You're definitely
0: her reincarnated spirit.
1: On the 17th of July, the same day as her trial and conviction, Charlotte journeyed to the guillotine in a tumbril, a small cart used to transport prisoners. She refused to sit and stood upright through the bumpy journey, her face calm. She was executed by guillotine, wearing the red of a traitor. And after the execution, a man in the crowd picked up her head and slapped it on the cheek, which is bloody rude. But at mm. least this was considered poor form and the man was imprisoned for three months. So, justice.
0: Her body was taken for autopsy to see if she was a virgin. as Jacobin leaders were still convinced there must have been a man involved in the planning of the assassination and if there was a man involved, then he must have been fucking her. I
1: mean, why would you let a woman be part of your super cool assassination plot? Yep. Sadly for the Jacobin misogynists, the autopsy found she was a virgin, i.e. her hymen was intact. And therefore she must have been clever enough to come up with a plot on her own.
0: I mean I mean, really, it wasn't that complicated of a plan. Like she showed up, bought a knife and went to his house. Like it wasn't actually like I'm not saying it wasn't impressive what she did. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like she rappelled down from the ceiling of the National Assembly and stabbed him in the face.
1: God, that'd be pretty cool.
0: That'd be pretty cool. But yeah, like she like bought a knife and went to his house, like And stabbed him. And the Jackman's like, how could she do it? How did she do it? She's just a woman. Anyway. I,
1: I don't get it either. I mean, like, women were involved in the French Revolution from the beginning. Why
0: are they like, oh, women can't do shit? Oh, oh, oh. Bitches be trippin'. Who knows? On top of this indignity, Charlotte's actions did not have the effect she desired. Rather than curbing the violence and proving Marat to be a tyrant, Charlotte's assassination incited further brutality and bloodshed and turned Marat into a martyr. In the months after the assassination, the violence and killings of the Revolution reached new heights with the Reign of Terror, where the revolutionary leaders took an increasingly brutal stance against those who might be enemies of the Revolution. Though Charlotte had maintained other Girondins were not involved in her crime, the Jacobins were convinced that her actions were part of a wider Girondist conspiracy.
1: The Committee of Public Safety, including Robespierre, went after any perceived enemies and executed around 17,000 people over around 10 months. I always forget how, like, fucked the terror was.
0: Like, it it's was not so just fucked. a few like, people I getting beheaded. Like, my history teacher actually had to, like, when we got to this point of the terror, she, like, sat us all down and was like, this is going to get fucked up, guys. Like, just so you know. Charlotte's act went beyond the factionalism of the French Revolution, however. The fact that she was a woman was equally significant in the far-reaching consequences. As an educated, respectable, formerly unknown woman, Charlotte captured the public imagination there was some sympathy for her actions. In Normandy, where she was from and where there were many Girondists in hiding, many agreed with her assessment of Marat and viewed her as a brave patriot who had sacrificed herself for the good of France. One local newspaper dramatised the assassination and praised Charlotte, writing, quote, Marat, friend of rogues and father of assassins, Marat is no longer a citizeness of Cannes, plunged two blows of a knife into his chest, crying, Scoundrel, you have killed my country, die for your crimes, unquote. So the account got the details wrong, but it was clearly still supportive of her actions.
1: In Britain, where they were definitely not on the side of the radical revolutionaries, the Times described her as extraordinary, inspired, and even having Amazonian courage. Support for her actions could be dangerous, however. A German patriot wrote a poem comparing her to Brutus, and after much debate over whether he was mad, he was guillotined in November. That's bloody extreme. Mm. Moore regarded her as an example of unfeminine behaviour. These critics focused on her appearance, because of course they did, and couldn't understand how an attractive, well-bred woman could commit such a violent act. Some took this idea further and characterised her as an unnatural woman, uh. declaring her monstrous and inhuman. Mm. Representations of Charlotte soon after her death played into contemporary debates about gender roles and morality. So, that Though initially focused on her attractiveness, representations of her soon presented her as an ugly, proud spinster who had ideas above her station, and who rejected the quote-unquote normal feminine interests of the period. These accounts critiqued her education and her interest in philosophy, stating this had made her feel mentally superior to others and made everything and everyone else boring to her.
0: Hmm. Like Sheldon Cooper. No. But I'd still rather live through the French Revolution than watch the Big Bang Theory. All right. In October, the president of the Paris Commune, essentially the government of Paris between 1789 and 1795, used the ideals of the wife and the mother to describe the differences between good women and bad women. Good women were caring mothers, devoted wives, and above all, virtuous. Which is hard to be when you've got children. Anyway, bad women, like me, wanted to leave the home to make a nuisance of themselves in public places like the Senate. Then you've got to make sure women know they don't belong in politics. I will not be lectured on sexism and misogyny by you. Not now, not ever. Classic. The commune president reminded French people that while good women should be protected, bad women who, quote, don the masculine role and make the disgusting exchange of the charms given her by nature for a pike and a pair of pants, unquote, should be shunned.
1: How can you think that sounds like a bad thing? I'm 100% gonna join the pike and a pair of pants brigade. Like, make it sound bad if you don't want women to go this route. He'd met French women, right? Like, he knew about the Women's March on Versailles in October 1789 one of the earliest events of the French Revolution. Anyway, these depictions of Charlotte and of good and bad women were very much aimed at discouraging women from taking a similar course of action. Though many women were not discouraged by this, they did attempt to distance themselves from Charlotte's actions. The burgeoning feminist movement worried that it would suffer from an association between Charlotte and their demands. Many women also supported Marat and were sympathetic to the direction the revolution was taking and so disagreed with Charlotte's decision. Politically active women in the years after Charlotte were denounced as the, quote, new Cordays, unquote, including Olymp de Gouges, the author of A Declaration of the Rights of Women and the Female Citizen, which I think shows the way in which her actions were used to discredit other revolutionary women. Oh.
0: I want to come back here to Charlotte's request before her execution of her being painted. This could easily be seen as being vain or girly nonsense, but I think it really speaks to how she viewed her actions. Taken with the copy of Plutarch's Lives that she carried to Paris, her request shows an awareness or a hope or a belief that her actions were a part of history that will be preserved for the study of future generations. It's also interesting when you consider that a large part of the attempts to discredit her focused on her ugliness and unfeminine behaviour, yet the portrait painted hours before her execution shows a young, conventionally attractive woman. She's sitting demurely, staring serenely at the artists and the audience, her hands clasped in her lap. Her request then could have been part of a way to counteract the attempts to undermine her agency by discrediting the attempts to reduce her to a monstrous being.
1: The first painting, The Assassination, almost completely removes Charlotte from the picture. So Jacques-Louis David's 1793, The Death of Marat, which is the painting we mentioned at the start as one of the defining images of the French Revolution, doesn't depict Charlotte in person at all. Instead, the only reason she is there is her name is written on a piece of paper. Instead, Marat lies in his bath, draped in white cloth, the assassin nowhere to be found. We could go into the religious symbolism here, the comparisons to paintings of Christ, but what is crucial for us is that Charlotte has lost control of the narrative. Marat is dead, but no one killed him. She is removed from the picture and her agency is removed from the act. It's only decades later that Charlotte is actually painted in, in person into the depictions of Marat's
0: death. I want you to congratulate me that I didn't start singing. I put my job back in the narrative halfway through that. I congratulate you. Thank you. After her death, there have been many different artistic representations of Charlotte. She's often a tragic figure, represented as a passionate but misguided woman due to the unintended consequences of her actions, namely actually increasing the violence rather than ending it. For the 200th anniversary of the French Revolution in 1989, Lorenzo Ferrero Rocher, wrote an opera about Charlotte warning of the dangers of killing an individual to stop a larger evil. It's a bit moralistic for an opera celebrating the anniversary of a revolution, but maybe that's just me. Charlotte has even made it into the video game era, appearing in an Assassin's Creed game where players go around as an assassin in the French Revolution. Funnily enough, though, Charlotte herself, the Angel of Assassination is not a playable character and the game developers were called out for claiming that making a playable female assassin would be too hard. Ah, uh, fuck me. hmm hmm
1: A titty equals a well-rounded character. Yeah,
0: a well-rounded titty, a well-rounded character.
1: See? It makes sense. The logic is there. It's fine. In the mobile video game Fate Grand Order, Charlotte does appear to be a playable character with a bountiful bouncing breasts. And the description of her character on the game's wiki reminds players that she is supposedly remembered for being beautiful. So that's all pretty much as I expected. I mean, really, her legacy is complicated because she was human. She's been an inspiration, a warning, a martyr, a failure, and a great pair of tits. It's my legacy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's complicated. It's just one of those things, the French are very interesting a lot of countries are very interesting in that often you'll talk about like the motherland and you'll have the depiction of the personification of your country will be a woman. But women themselves are underrepresented in actual positions of power. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You've got like, you know, Britannia and Yeah.
0: Europa. And um Marianne, she's a symbol of the republic itself. Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah that's Charlotte. Right. I um I find her very funny. I just love the idea of like, how could she have come up with this plan on her own? Goes to Paris, buys a knife, goes to Marat's house. It's just frustrating that throughout history, even in this period of, like, intense, incredible ideas, they're like, could a woman have come up with this? No, her plan was far too clever. Let's get a man involved. And those are my thoughts yeah. on Charlotte Corder.
1: Those are good thoughts. I find her really interesting. Like, we don't really have many of her words left, so we know little about her thinking um, or how she came to believe that it was not only that she, not only that Marat needed to die um, to fix things, but that she was the one to do it, like, we know she heard the speeches of the Girondins and was exposed to philosophical works, but I mean, that's a, it's a long way from starting to think the world could be better to going out by yourself at 25 to assassinate a key figure in the revolution and accepting when you do it that you're going to be executed for it.
0: Yeah, like clearly with like how she went to the um, guillotine, she like knew that was going to happen for herself.
1: She did. She fully committed that she was going to die for this mm. and she was so convinced that she had to do it anyway. And that I just find yeah, that really fascinating. It's it's so interesting. Like we just don't we don't know why. She she did it really. Like hmm. we know the reasoning she gave, but so many people sit here during these sort of events and they might have that thought of, Oh, wouldn't it be good if X person died that might fix things? But no comment on society. Yeah. But barely anyone's actually gonna go out and be like, but I'm gonna actually kill the person. I'm gonna be the one to do it.
0: You know what the problem is? Millennials.
1: Millennials have
0: no work ethic. We know this. Millennials have no assassination ethic.
1: New hot take. Millennials need to bring back the assassination business. I'd love to know more about how she thought, what she was thinking through the whole fair, but I mean, until someone invents a time machine, we've got to make do with what we can find. So that's really what we have to tell you about Charlotte. We hope you found this episode interesting and we encourage anyone to...
0: Join our Pikes and Pants Brigade. We're going to have a ball. She has been Hannah Vani and I have been Nicola Ritchie and thank you for listening. Don't I get to say goodbye? No, you do not. Okay. (laughs) You can if you want. Um, Thanks for listening. I'm Nicola. I'm not allowed to speak, so see you next time.